Welcome to Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. However, I believe there is a more immediate threat. Thousands and thousands of feet of film consumed. Hours and hours of work expended by technicians. And once it's been erased and shredded, it can be done all over again. As all of you know, I've devoted much of my life to convincing the world that travel through film was not only possible, but necessary to survive. Welcome back, intrepid listener, to another episode of the Triple Threat Theater Podcast. This is episode number 45, and my name is Ryan Miller. And I'm Joe Daxberger. Welcome back, Dax. Hey, welcome back, Mills. The listener will never know this unless we say it, but it feels like it's been a while since we've recorded one of these. Indeed, indeed. But, you know, it's like all great things. You just kind of pick up where you left off, and I think we're ready to rock. You know, I think you're right. Yeah. Uh, where did we leave off? Well, last time we came up with one small step. Uh, I feel like this is probably one of the somewhat easier titles to guess. It's got to be. At least the theme, if not the actual movies for. One might think that all of these movies are about the moon landing. Mm-hmm. And you wouldn't be too far off, although... They don't always make it to the moon in these films. <laughs> they sure don't. Uh, this episode, we are dealing with all NASA-themed Mercury 7-slash-Apollo astronaut films, mm-hmm. beginning with 1983's The Right Stuff, moving on to 1995's Apollo 13, and finishing off with 2018's First Man. Indeed. It is First Man, right? Not The First Man? Correct. First man. First man. Crossing quite a few decades, which is always fun. It's just, it was interesting watching the three of these considering, you know, they're not all about like the same mission, but there's a lot of crossover in like characters and mm-hmm. like different astronauts being mentioned and or appearing mm-hmm. in, you know, parts of varying size in these movies and everything. Sure. Just seeing the same subject matter and same general time period covered. It but covered in three different distinct time periods, the uh, the early eighties, the mid nineties, and then you know almost twenty twenty. Right. Do we have a name for the past decade? Is it the teens? It's got to be right. <laughs> I mean, I just I don't know. quickly my brain just stopped because I was like, wait, have we even thought about that? But it's got to be the teens. Because <laughs> two thousand to two thousand ten was the aughts, right? Right. So what, I mean, I've never heard anybody refer to it as the teens, but that's got to be what it is, right? I mean, this, I mean, this is what's going to happen when, you know, when the 20s come around again, you know? Do we have to call it something different than the 20s because there was already, like, the Roaring 20s? Who knows? Well, it won't be the Roaring 20s anymore, I assume. I mean, well, we'll have to see how the next nine years play out, but... That's just me being hopeful, baby. <laughs> yeah. Bring back Prohibition. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, so I had seen all three of these movies before. Interesting. Although, as we'll discuss as we go through, uh, my opinions changed on a few of them, hmm. which is always interesting. interesting. Always. I've gotten to the point now, you know, uh, the vast majority of my life revolves around 
media, movies, comics, TV, and stuff. Very That's true. why I don't do a podcast about politics or sports or any of that. Who's got the time? Jimbo Jimbo. Exactly. But um, I've gotten to the point where, you know, somebody will bring up an older movie and I'll be like, oh, yeah, I've seen it. And I'll have an opinion on it. Like, actually, just earlier today, um, I'll use this as as an example. Uh, You texted me about um, a recent Shout Factory release of um, Event Horizon. Mm -hmm. And it seemed like you were excited. And I responded and was like, I've only seen that once back when it came out, and I remember not liking it very much. And it's a case of like, whenever that movie came out, it's probably like over 20 years since I've seen it. I do have a recollection of not liking it, but it seems like the kind of movie I'd really dig. And my my roundabout point is, there are certain movies that I've seen a certain amount of time ago that I no longer feel I can trust my own judgment on. (laughs) Because, really? like, I've changed, my opinions on things have changed. And over time, as I rewatch movies, like some of the ones we're going to talk about here, I do feel like, you know, I'll, a movie will either go up or down for me. And so I've, I'm a little less, like, ready to just dive in with, like, oh, I saw that 17 years ago and it's, mm-hmm. it sucks. Because I don't know if that's true anymore of my opinion because I, I haven't seen it. You know what I mean? I, so. Oh, yeah. I would say, I mean – it's good to have opinions change for sure. Um, yeah. And I would actually say I've seen Apollo 13 first man. I was aware of the right stuff, but had never seen it before, but I 100% had different feelings about movies. I had seen this time around, just like you. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that makes sense to me. I mean, I do it too. There's been plenty of, of course I can't think of any example offhand right now that, you know, my opinion has changed. I I think I can say this about me. I'm not sure so much with you. I rewatch a lot of movies. Just it's it's less often with me, just yeah. because, you know, there's always more to watch. Yeah, you're always like after the next one and me to a point, but you know, a big part of like me buying a movie will be because I want to rewatch it. So I do like do that quite a bit. Whereas when I buy a movie, it's simply because I don't already own it. Right. And in lots of cases, I do just on like DVD <laughs> right, instead of right. Blu-ray. Right. You have it on a DVD that you haven't watched, but now you have to have it on a Blu-ray that you won't watch. And then the DVD gets sent to to Joe Dexberger. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's a good reciprocal Because it's the kind of circle thing. of physical yeah. media. <laughs> totally. So, uh, yeah. I mean, opinions definitely change. I mean, a quick anecdote I can give is I just rewatched seven for the first time and I would guess 10 years plus easy. Really? And that was, um, don't tell me you hate it now. Cause that's one of your like favorite movies for right? a long time. Like if you asked me my favorite movies, I'd be like ghost dog and seven. Those are just like my top tier, like love these damn movies still holds up. I mean, I think that movie's phenomenal. So, and that was exciting for me to watch it because you never know going in. I'm like, oh, especially a movie like that. Like you hold up on a pedestal or I do anyway. Mm-hmm. I actually happened with Ghost Dog. I hadn't watched Ghost Dog in a long time. And then I got the Criterion and watched that and still love it to death. So, yeah, I feel like when it comes to my favorite movies, like just thinking about my top four on Letterboxd, like when mm-hmm. your Letterboxd profile, you can list like it doesn't have to be your four favorite movies, but that's what I did. Mm hmm. And they are Aliens, The Thing, Ghostbusters, and Police Story. And I think just by the virtue of the fact that I love those movies so much, those are among the few that I actually rewatch. You know, I'm not saying like every year I rewatch them or something, but I don't think, I don't think five years go by that I haven't 
rewatched those since I first saw them, any of those. Mm, that's pretty good. But that's just, that, that's me personally. Yeah. I mean, like I was saying, I rewatch a lot of movies I love anyways, just for the, I mean, I love them for a reason. So, mm-hmm. but it all comes back around. Like, I think it's good when opinions change and being open to them changing. So mm-hmm. I can dig it. Muzzy, I have a question. Yes. We've been friends for a long time at this point. That's not a question. I'm getting there. That's the pre. <laughs> that's the preamble. <laughs> no, that was a question. We've been Fact. friends for a long time. True. <laughs> question mark. Um, that part's fact. Are you that depends aware on your perception of time? I suppose. Ooh, oh boy. <laughs> Are you aware how much I love NASA and NASA-related things? I know you have like a Lego spaceship that's like an actual NASA ship, right? I do. And I think you have like a NASA patch or something. Uh, Also true. Past that, I don't know if I would have, like, I could have assumed that you would like, you know, the the design aesthetic and, and everything of like the old 60s, like space you know, space program and everything. But I mm-hmm. don't think I no, I wouldn't have said that uh, you had a specific interest in or fandom of NASA. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like aerospace things in general and going the way that back to when I was a kid with planes and stuff. But yeah, I've always had a big love for space and NASA in particular. Like I, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago, got to go and see like space shuttle you know, it was like a transformative experience for me. I do have the Lego Saturn V rocket. I've got a couple of different uh, space landers over there. I got one of those metal sculptures of a uh, certain NASA satellite. Got a couple patches. I got some <laughs> NASA t-shirts, uh, you know. And you I got, hadn't seen the right stuff before? I know. I mean, I, I have on the wall or above the rocket, I've got... Uh, Adam Savage from Mythbusters. I have his like sketch of a NASA spacesuit. So hmm. it's littered throughout. I'm a fan, just like the whole mechanical bits and you know spaceships and planes. Like I just I dig all that stuff. It's cars, you know. It's kind of all the same. But mm-hmm. so yeah, for me, movie wise, I mean, there's other examples. I mean, I've I saw Apollo 13 like when it came out and have rewatched it many times. And I've done like a decent amount of reading and stuff, but there's quite a bit I was a little familiar with, but it was exciting for me to watch the right stuff, hmm. especially after never seeing it. Yeah, I I was I was dreading that one a little bit because I remembered, you know, regardless of my opinions on it, I remembered it was long, mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. Yeah, for me, um, like I had like a Hot Wheels, like a NASA spaceship, like the the more later model one that looks less like a rocket and more like, you know, the fin on the back and the two on the sides looks more like a plane. Yeah, just the straight space. Like, that's the one I saw in, yeah, like the uh, space in Maryland, or whatever. actually. Yeah, the shuttle itself. Um, like, I had one of those as a kid, um, along with, like, my other Hot Wheels. Um, mm-hmm. And, like, I remember going to, like, you know, like the Science Museum, and uh, they had, like, you know, fake landers or maybe they were real ones i don't know and shit like that hanging around and uh that was never really my thing like i was into like sci-fi and so like i like you know fake spaceships and (laughs) the idea of like space as long as there's aliens and battles in it Mm -hmm. but uh yeah it was never 
ne- never had a particular interest in the the subject myself, but for this episode, like when we start posting things, I'll have to make sure I put up a post about all my NASA memorabilia. Yeah. Oh, definitely do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, now that we have all that in the books, uh, you yeah. want to dive right into our first film? Yes, please. All right. So. Uh, clocking in at like three hours and 15 minutes or something like that. <laughs> From 1983, we have the right stuff. One thing crossed me was right about the legal test wasn't Mach 2. I guess that demon lives out at about 2.3 on your Mach meter. All right. Yeah, but Mach 2 was the magic number. Like 60 homers, like batting 400, like four-minute mile, if they ever break that. Press likes a nice round number. After that, they don't care. The next magic number. You need some more in speed records in this day and age. You need coverage. Coverage? Oh, you mean them little root weevils that crawl around popping off cameras in your face? Those root weevils write history. Yeah, well, let them write the damn history and let the pilots fly the airplane. Pilots. You know what really makes your rocket ships go up? Hell, the aerodynamics alone would take so long to explain to you that funding, that's what makes your ships go up. I'll tell you something, and you guys too. No Bucks, no Buck Rogers. Uh, I had seen this around, I think, like 2012. Mm-hmm. Just one of those movies I'd always kind of heard was good and knocked it off the old list. Yep. And, uh, you know, didn't remember having really strong feelings about it. Went back and looked, and I think I gave it three stars. And the outstanding thing I said in my review on Letterboxd at the time was... Uh, that some movies don't need to be three hours and 15 minutes long, and this was one of them. <laughs> mm-hmm. I guess I'll come right out of the gate and say that, uh, like like I said, I was kind of, not dreading, but I was like, all right, here we go, settle in, three hours and 15 minute long movie. Didn't mind the length this time. That's like one thing I can definitely say changed about my opinion of it, is that I was just like along the whole time, and maybe that first time around I was... Like sitting checking the clock, but not this time. I was just kind of with it. Nice. How was your first experience? Well, I'll say just uh, in general for this episode, this is probably like our got to be our longest like cumulative <laughs> runtime. I actually thought about that because this one's over three. Apollo thirteen's like two hours and fifteen minutes, right? Yep. And first man's and like two twenty, I think. Two, yeah. So I was like generally had an idea of like what was in the right stuff because like I know some of those like major players like Chuck Yeager in particular. Mm-hmm. Well, I sat down to watch. I had no idea it was as long as it is. Oh, <laughs> and was taken aback. I was like, oh god, just because I can't get like that with long movies now. Even if it's gonna be the best thing I ever saw, I'm just like, oh god, three and a half hours. Like, <laughs> I mean, the first kind. I think this movie is long, and it felt long <laughs> to me. And uh huh. I would say, I mean, I it felt too long to me. It did. I felt like some scenes were like just twice as long as they needed to be. You know, there was just like whatever you thought a scene was going to cut, it was still another 10 seconds long, like those <laughs> kind of things. And I started to think as I was watching it, it was like, is this what's making this movie so long? But, I mean, they pack a lot of story in there too, so I can't really yeah. 
can't really be sure. I mean, this... I mean, a hundred percent. You know, like I said, I I didn't mind it. It didn't concern me as much this time around the length, but easily, objectively, I think you could cut forty five minutes out of this. Yeah, no sweat. Yeah. Without like and... commenting on the movie itself, just like yes, there is. Like I just said, there are times where it's like things linger or just. Some, you know, there's, there'll be back and forth glances between people that are just all, each of them is too long. And the the mm-hmm. entire scene, it's just. Well, one of the fascinating things about this movie is that, so like Apollo 13, which we'll get to, is about a mission and something goes wrong and then they're trying to rescue these guys and get them back to Earth. Like, there's your mm-hmm. plot premise. Right. And then First Man is a little more concerned with, like, character and emotion, but... You know, it's all building to Neil Armstrong being the first man to walk on the moon. Right. Um, and so that's like your big end game. This movie isn't really like that. It's not like it's building towards one particular mission or something. It basically covers the entire like duration of the Mercury 7 astronauts and like those original... Was it the Mercury? The Gemini. The Gemini Gem- missions. Yeah. Even though they, they, they pronounce it weird. Gemini? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> but those, it, it's like it's about those missions. Like basically, the Apollo missions are the ones where they went to the moon, either to land on it or to like, mm-hmm. you know, go around it and you know take photos and and everything. Right. Uh, but before that is like the time period. Like like by the time we got to Apollo, it was like okay, here's our mission. We're going to the moon. Right. But the Gemini program was all about okay, we just need to figure out the science of getting people up there, getting mm-hmm. them back. Uh, orbiting the earth and making right. sure all this shit works yeah. so that we can get, then get to the Apollo missions. Yeah. And it's not like, so like the final Gemini mission didn't end with like some big discovery. It was just like, by the time they finished that last one, it was like, okay, now we think we, we know what we need to, to go for the moon. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, spoilers, this movie doesn't have like a climax, so to speak. No. <laughs> In fact, the, like they skip, they, they show you the first couple of missions I forget who the first one was. The second one was Gus Grissom. Uh, and then the third one was um, uh, John Glenn uh, orbiting the Earth three times. And then, like, so there were seven astronauts. They then skip over the next, like, three right. uh, who got to go up. And then the final one that they talk about is Cooper, which is Dennis Quaid's character, mm-hmm. who orbited the Earth something crazy, like 27 times or something. Something I think like they that, said. Yeah. Yeah, And literally, I don't even think they show you anything from that one, which I guess they could have made that like the climax, like, wow, he was up there for yeah. so long or something. But there's just like voiceover and then the movie ends. <laughs> it's like I mean, he was at the time, he was the greatest pilot of all time. For, 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 like, for, for one day, he was the greatest pilot <laughs> to ever live. And that's just like, I don't remember if that was just a rollover text or was a voiceover. I don't even remember at this point. And then it ends. It, it was it was voiceover. It was actually spoken. I forget who it was, but um I mean we can get right into it. I thought that was the weirdest ending they could have picked. It felt so abrupt yeah. and out of nowhere. It's just yeah, it, well the simple fact that it ended there, it was literally like, all right, well those the Gemini missions are done, so there's no story left in this movie. Yeah. But again, there was no thing that ended it. Like Apollo thirteen, if you're gonna tell the story of Apollo thirteen, yeah. it ends with we just scraped and clawed our way to getting those guys back to earth and they're safe. 
Like that's a good ending or, all right, we're going to send someone to the moon. And then in the end he gets to the moon right. <laughs> and like, that's a reasonable ending, but they're like the story that they were telling had no ending. Story. It <laughs> yeah, wasn't, there was yeah. no story. It's just like a casual stroll through that time period. Totally. And I enjoy it a lot. I really do. Like I'm not criticizing the lack of an ending. It is a little weird when it just stops there, but everything that happens long though it may be is interesting and very well made yeah. i think i mean especially you know for me as like a fan of this stuff and to see it like in long form like as i was going you know there was pl- like i said plenty of times where i was like this stuff's just like lingering and, and, and this is what's contributing to this long run time but there's plenty of things i was like vaguely familiar with and excited to see and was like you know just being a fan of this kind of stuff i was like I was pretty happy for it to be in a movie. It's just something, it's something about like the structure of this movie or lack of structure. Like you said, Mm -hmm. like there's no indication that this movie would like begin and end with Mercury. I was like, I don't know where this movie's going. I mean, it opens Mm -hmm. and spends so much time with Chuck Yeager only to leave him in the dust for the end. Yeah. I mean, he's not even one of the Mercury seven astronauts. And I mean, the movie ends and you would think if you just saw the ending, you would have said this movie was about Dennis Quaid's entire life because of the way it ends, focusing on him and then just cuts to credits. Mm-hmm. It just feels it feels like as I was watching, I was like, this just kind of feels like a like a TV movie, kind of like documentary with actors like <laughs> like the story structure just like wasn't there. It's just like you said, it's like vignettes of different things throughout the history of Mercury program. Yeah, it's not concerned with being thrilling or something like that. No. It's just like, let's just take you through it. Here's it's how like it a, happened. <laughs> this is a his, this is a three and a half hour history lesson. Yeah, which is interesting considering the subject matter. Yeah, I mean, there's there's actually not much I could say that like subject matter that I would want to sit through that kind of experience. But this mm-hmm. worked for me because it's all stuff I was like curious about, and I was like. I was like, this got to, because the way that the movie is, I was like, this this has to be like an actual historical take. Like, there's no, I would think not like a lot of exaggeration here. There then, are some, I, I read all about it. I didn't write most of this stuff down. There were a couple of uh, like things that, like they would take two characters and combine them for simplicity's sake. Okay. Or they would like take two flights and combine elements of them to, mm-hmm. you know, cut down on how many they had to show. Uh, the one big thing that I guess I, my, my main takeaway about Gus Grissom and his original flight came from this movie because the movie definitely takes the point of view that he screwed the pooch and blew those locks right, right. after he landed in the yeah. ocean. And then that's what sunk the ship. And it was kind of an embarrassment to NASA. Mm-hmm. That's definitely how they play it. And, but then like he hangs around and they keep him like in the control room and stuff for different things. And yeah, I guess reading about it a little more on like Wikipedia as time went on, it was as far as people who matter are concerned, proven that, it was not yeah. a fault of his own that that, that stuff happened. So like he, he was right. have been made out to be a pariah. Yeah. And I guess those decisions had already been made before this movie came out. So that's like the one thing that people really took issue with. Who, oh, like, knew really? The story. It took a stance. When... Yeah. Huh. 
And I don't know if that was for dramatic effect because most of the movie is just like told how it's happened, how it happened. Yeah. I was going to say there's not, there's not a lot of emotional stuff in the movie, but the one scene like is with him and his wife are fighting. Mm hmm. And she says that line about being like Mrs. Like Hatch Blower or something. Like, <laughs> yeah. Damn, <laughs> poor Gus. Yeah, I did read too. Like they ended up finding the they got that capsule off the ocean floor, mm-hmm. and you know got rehabbed and everything. But they never found the hatch, so it's like they couldn't oh. be like one hundred percent positive. But yeah, I guess uh, some of the other people like stuck up for him. And one of the other, I think it was one of the subsequent Mercury missions, like mm-hmm. after the capsule was secured and all, uh, whichever pilot it was, uh, blew the hatch himself and proved that like, like, however you would blow the explosive bolts on the hatch, it was impossible to do it without like bruising your hand because of the explosive bolts or something. Mm-hmm. And yes, like, yep. And so, like, every single time somebody blew those bolts, they would get a bruise on their hand, and uh, Gus didn't have it. So, like, they yeah. they say that it was, like, an actual malfunction. And, like, one of his guys, like, did it just so he could prove that it happened exactly. in real yeah. time. Like, he didn't need to blow the bolts, but after they'd secured so that it wouldn't sink like Gus's had, he blew them just to prove it. I mean, Milsey, what's the what's the most heartbreaking part of this story about Gus Grissom? It's that... He was killed in the in the Apollo One mission because the hatch didn't because have exploding they didn't bolts. have explosive bolts on the hatch. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and he died in a fire. Like how fucking crazy is that? It yeah, that's some weird fucked up like irony. <laughs> like how was you know how could you not just be screaming about those fucking bolts right before it happens? Like yeah. I could believe it. And oh. it's funny, like it, not not funny, but like I had I had read a little bit about this and then. Uh, the last movie that I watched of these three was First Man, and First Man is the one that actually has a, mm. a dr- dramatized sequence of Gus Grissom and the other two guys dying in that capsule. Mm-hmm. And so as I was watching it, I was realizing to myself, like, oh, shit, they actually had to turn the cranks on that door. Like, that's why they're yeah. stuck in here. And mm-hmm. since I had already watched the right stuff and they focus on it. It was, it was just like a weird same here. again, because these three, three movies cross over so much. Oh yeah. It was like a weird revelation that I had in real time as I was watching a dramatized <gasps> me too. scene. I mean, totally. Me too. I watched right stuff first. We watched first man. Then I ended on a bottle of 13. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, damn, those bolts got him. <laughs> yeah. Shit. They fucked him once. They fucked oh, him again. Dude, that's like terrible. Like that. Mm-hmm. It's like if you wrote a movie, that's how it would be. And it really happened to the poor guy in life. God damn. Yeah. You wouldn't believe it if it didn't actually happen. Exactly. <laughs> Let's talk momentarily just because, I mean, wow. The cast of this movie. I mean, I'll say all three movies, but this movie. This one just by sheer volume of characters I mean, in it. Stacked. So you got Sam Shepard, who isn't even like the biggest name to me. Like I, I, I could pick him out of a lineup, but this is probably the movie I know him from most. Hmm. Then you've got Fred Ward as the aforementioned Gus Grissom from Tremors. Oh, of course. Above all things, but many Always. films. Uh, Dennis Quaid. as Young Dennis Quaid. Yep. As Gordo Cooper. Mm-hmm. Ed Harris, the, the go-to like space movie guy, yeah. <laughs> apparently. As uh, John Glenn. Lance Henriksen with barely any lines. Mm-hmm. 
as Wally Shearer, another one of the astronauts. Barbara Hershey plays Sam Shepard's wife, plays Chuck Yeager's wife, Glennis. Mm-hmm. Veronica Cartwright, who is Lambert from Alien, oh, yeah. plays uh, Gus Grissom's wife, Betty. Mm-hmm. Dennis Quaid's uh, wife is played by Pamela Reed, who I don't know if I knew who she was when I first saw this movie, but the whole time I'm watching it this time, I'm like, who the fuck is she? She's so familiar to me. She is in other stuff I'd seen, like Kindergarten Cop, but since the first time I saw this movie, I have watched Parks and Rec three times through, Mm. (laughs) and she plays uh, Leslie Nope's mom, the mother of the main character of the show. So yes. That's what I mainly know her from now. And then in smallish supporting roles, you have Jeff Goldblum and Harry Mm. Shearer as NASA recruiters. I don't think you mentioned Scott Glenn. Uh, Oh, right. Scott Glenn is Alan Shepard. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Stick from Daredevil, among other things. Yeah, among other things. That guy actor, kind of. There's one other kind of noteworthy one for me. I don't know if you picked up on this one, but uh, do you know who played Vice President Lyndon Johnson? I, I, I know his name only because I'm looking at the IMDb, but yes, Donald Moffat. Do you know who that is? I've seen him in a billion things, I feel like. Um, he is Gary in The Thing. I was going to say, yes, from The Thing. <laughs> and then, I didn't know this until I was reading some uh, trivia, the voice of President Eisenhower was provided by Kevin Pollack. Oh, no shit. Yeah. That's funny. And Chuck Yeager himself appears in the movie as the bartender at the uh, saloon near oh, the Air no Force way. Base, oh, where, yeah, oh, where nice. Chuck Yeager yeah. was like a pilot. So just a fucking treasure trove of I mean, people. Packed. I let, I'll say, come on, say my favorite from the movie, Fred Ward. I thought he was great as Gus Grissom. Yeah. And awesome. I just like Fred Ward anyway. I mean, talk about us both being like, go way back OG Tremors fans. I mean, (laughs) there was a sequence in time where for whatever reason, it could have gone on for weeks or more. Me and my brother would come home from work, come home from school and watch Tremors every day. (laughs) Tremors and aliens were the movies. When I was younger, I had another friend also named Ryan who, uh, was also into uh, like horror movies mm-hmm. and you know back in the day before I mean you know VHS was a thing but I feel like your primetime television channels like ABC NBC Fox all those would play movies primetime and they would advertise them like a week or two in advance like coming up in two weeks on Sunday aliens you know or whatever <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> him and I would always if we saw like aliens or tremors on TV we would always like call the other one and be like, "Oh, Tremors is on." Nice. So that's, that's good like friendship the, right there. The childhood memory I have of that one, or if you saw like an ad for it in the TV guide, tear <laughs> oh, out the man. ad. Mm-hmm. All right. Remember we had to look at a book to see what was on TV. <laughs> yeah, with a like a black and white print ad that I would tear out for no good reason, but. Yeah, uh, the other the other one for me, like, I mean, Dennis Quaid is good in it. I think we talked about him when we discussed Inner Space, and this is an opinion I've always held of him, that he feels like he, like, was always just shy of becoming, like, an A-list, big-name actor. Like, I always compare him to Harrison Ford. Like, I feel like he could have maybe broken through and been, like, Harrison Ford-level, mm-hmm. big-name, like, just, you know, 
square jawed white boy right actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I feel like he just never got like the right breaks or something, and so he's always been like lesser than. But he's really good in this. But uh, Ed Harris, who's always good, yes, I think because of his later career, I've always viewed him as kind of like the angry, scowling, grizzled person. Mm-hmm. And him as John Glenn in this, he's like so kind of like upbeat and oh yeah, nice and he's like the all American Boy Scout character. Yeah, so like it was. It was like impressive and interesting to see him in that role because I'm not used to seeing him play a character like that. Yeah. I love Ed Harris. I mean, I, there's a plenty of movies I love Ed Harris, and so I was excited to see him in this too. Mm-hmm. It is just cool to see Scott Glenn in like, uh, you know, he's one of the main characters in this. He's mm-hmm. pretty big in it. Yeah, I like him a lot. I liked like all the uh, the wife characters I thought were all great. I mean, Glennis mm-hmm. Yeager was cool. Like Chuck and Glennis Yeager were like, one of the coolest couples I feel like I've ever seen in a movie, you know? Yeah, just having a horse race. Yeah, just a horse race. And after he just, like, you know, b- broke a bunch of ribs and flew a experimental jet. It's just, like, <laughs> it's wild. Yeah, so this is based on a book by Thomas Wolfe, who also wrote Bonfire of the Vanities. Mm. I guess there was some back and forth with uh, the the writing of the film. And I don't know his name off the top of my head, but the guy who had originally written a draft of the movie, he like cut Chuck Yeager entirely and wanted it to be more of like a rah-rah America kind of film mm-hmm. instead of the more like, you know, simple, just meat and potatoes telling of the story like we've mentioned this is. Yeah. And uh, the director, Philip Kaufman, wasn't a fan of that direction. And at some point... uh I think, like, another studio came in, got involved, and they dumped that guy's script, and then Philip Kaufman actually rewrote the script himself in, like, eight weeks, and that's the one they Hmm. filmed. Philip Kaufman being the guy who gave us the 1978 Invasion of the Body Snatchers with Leonard Nimoy and Donald Sutherland. Okay. And uh, I think Veronica Cartwright is in that as well, if I'm not mistaken. And he also wrote the outlaw Josie Wales which he was going to direct, but then he had some kind of like argument with Clint Eastwood and left the project, but he did write it. And apparently also had a hand in writing Raiders of the Lost Ark as well. Oh, prolific. Phil Kaufman. I can dig it. One of the things that impressed me the most this time around, the special effects in this movie, this movie does utilize a fair amount of actual footage of like the the launches and things. Again, it just adds to that feeling you were talking about of like a made-for-TV like docudrama or something because it'll be like, you know, fictionalized footage and then it just cuts to like obviously actual (laughs) like news footage from the time and stuff. But um, the special effects, I think, are incredible. You know, it's all practical, early 80s. There was never a part in this movie where I felt like I was looking at like a fake ship on a wire or something. Which, which was all that was, apparently, yeah. from what I read. Mm-hmm. With, like, fog machines and shit like that, and, like, all of the shots of Earth were, like, a painting, apparently, that they used for, like, all the, the looks out the windows mm. of the ships of the Earth. So, like, all that stuff looks great. I don't know, like, what the average budget of a movie like this would have been in 1983, but budget for this film was $27 million, only made 21.1 in the box office. Mm. Yeah, I remember I didn't know that part. I did see something about being a big disappointment. Yeah, it was critically acclaimed, but uh, just did not do well. And uh, its failure in the box office was one of the final nails in the coffin for the Lad Company. 
okay. uh, which died a swift death after its release. Huh. Uh, they revived the company later to make such films as the Brady Bunch movie, Braveheart, The Phantom, which we recently discussed, mm. and uh, Gone Baby Gone, I think, was the last movie produced by the Lad Company. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, for a good number of years there, in like the early to mid-90s uh, through the like early 2000s, the company didn't really mm-hmm. exist. Coming back to just mentioning how we recently watched The Phantom... Yes. In that episode, we watched The Rocketeer. Mm-hmm. Are you aware of the... The gum? The, the gum, that Beeman's, baby. <laughs> Chuck Yeager's <laughs> yeah. going on and on about that Beeman's. I was like, oh, man, that's awesome. Yeah, which was apparently like a real thing that he would do before every flight. Yeah. It was like, ask his buddy for a stick of Beeman's gum. Yeah. Gotta have that lucky Beeman's, Millsy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this movie, again, critically acclaimed, was nominated for eight Oscars and won four of them, I think. Nice. So it lost Best uh, best Picture, Best Actor for Sam Shepard, which is kind of funny to think, like, of all the things, like, one of the guys who isn't even one of the astronauts and they leave in the dust for most of the movie would be considered the quote-unquote, like, lead actor. Mm-hmm. But whatever. Also lost Best Art Direction and Best Cinematography, but one best film editing, best original score, best sound, and best sound effects editing. Okay. So it won some of the more boring but yeah, technical. technical <laughs> technically good stuff. But uh, yeah, all told, I don't know. I, I think, you know, the first time I watched it, I was probably expecting something closer to Apollo 13 and then was let down or disappointed because it was kind of long and dry. But I think this time, going in knowing that it was going to be long and dry, I just enjoyed it a lot more for what it was. Like, mm. I had a really good time with it this time. It does have its weird little problems, but yeah, for all intents and purposes, it's just a very well-made... Uh, like, what it is is very well done, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. It's like, I, I honestly like enjoyed it. Again, just subject matter, uh, cast... Everything, but it's like I even for whatever reason is like I have a hard time even calling it a movie. It's just like it feels <laughs> like a history lesson in in film. But it's like you, the things you touched on about like just having the overall arc. It just like feels like one of like the weirder movies I feel like we've watched. Yeah, it, it's just hard to imagine. Like oh, in 1983, let's go to the cinema and see three hours and fifteen minutes of this procedural nasa drama yeah i kind of understand why it didn't do so well but i think it's really good just yeah i have like a weird time calling it a movie like yeah (laughs) like it's a really good movie no it's really good like thing whatever it is (laughs) yeah i mean yeah all these are true true and accurate statements all right moving on uh jumping to 1995 with apollo 13 uh, this is Houston. Uh, say again, please. Houston, we have a problem. We have a main bus B undervolt. We've got a lot of thruster What's activity here, Houston. Now? It just went offline. Oh, there's another master alarm, Houston. I'm checking a quad. Christ, that was no repress valve. Maybe it's in quad We've got a computer restart. I'm going to reconfigure the RCS. We've got a pinch light. Fire doesn't make any sense. We've got multiple caution and warning, Houston. We've got a reset restart. All right, I'm going to SDS. 
flight. The heart rates are skyrocketing. Econ, what's your data telling you? Uh, O2 tank two not reading at all. Tank one is at uh, 725 psi and falling. Fuel cells one and three are. Uh... Oh boy, what's going on here? Flight. Let me get back to you. Flight GNC. Flight, they're all over the place. They keep going close to gimbal lock. I, I keep losing radio signal. Flight, their antenna must be flying. 22. They're gonna have to do it manually. One at a time, people. One at a time. One at a time. Ecom, is this an instrumentation problem, or are we looking at real power loss here? It's, it's reading a quadruple failure. That can't happen. It's, it's got to be instrumentation. Houston, we have a problem? I mean, this was a huge movie at the time, from what I remember. Who hasn't I mean, seen this? I mean, I was 13 when it came out. Um, my sweet Megan had not seen it, because oh. it, she... Well, she has a trouble with movies where, like, harrowing things happen, right? <laughs> yes. Like, thrillers, I mean, it, like, you know... She gets, you know, her heart starts beating fast. I mean, Billsy, we were on the couch. I was like, I'm going to finish watching Apollo 13. So she's on the couch. She's doing her thing. Mm -hmm. She just looks at me. She's like, does anyone die? (laughs) And I just looked at her and I didn't answer. And then this went back and forth like three times until she's like, I'm just going to look it up. Does anyone die? And I was like, (laughs) I finally told her. Because, yeah, she's like, I told you I have like a my old roommate was kind of like the same way. Like some people just can't, they can't enjoy themselves because like it's like an, a bit of that anxiety about it. So yeah, yeah. I mean, so that's, what, that's the whole she, point of a movie, though, is to like discover it as you're watching it. But I do know that there are people yeah. who, yeah, like if they don't know what's going to happen, they it they just they can't right? handle it. <laughs> so yeah, so she had not seen it. You know, she got worked up in the ending. Of course, you know, so. But, you know, I've I've watched this so many times. I mean, I can't tell if I saw it in the theater or not. I just don't remember. But, I mean, I feel like I've been watching this, like, fairly regularly since 1995, for sure. Yeah, I know that I didn't see this in the theater. Um, I would have been five at the time. Or, or ten. I would have been ten at the time. I was going to say, what the fuck? <laughs> I think I looked at the date, 1995, and I just said five. I would have been <laughs> ten at the time. I was like, wait, but, wait, 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 wait. I mean, everybody in the 90s had a copy of this VHS in yeah. their house, and mm-hmm. so I definitely saw it on VHS. For sure, this is at least like the third or fourth time I've seen it. It might not be more than that, but um, yeah. Went into this one expecting it to be like my runaway favorite and I did enjoy it mm-hmm. but I think because like again my my thoughts the first time I saw the right stuff was that it was kind of like slow and long mm-hmm. and then the uh, first man which we'll talk about also it's not it's not in the same ballpark of Apollo 13 Apollo 13 is like a blockbuster crowd pleasing yeah. like harrowing sure. film the other two are not really like that. No. Apollo 13 is like the big Hollywood movie. So I had expectations going in, going into this one. It had been a while since I'd seen it. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Enjoyed it. I don't know if it quite lived up to the picture I had in my mind from the last time I saw it. But, uh, I mean, it's undeniably, a, if nothing else, an entertaining film. Yeah. I think that it's it's the big Hollywood movie with the big actors of the time. You know, it's got all those, like... All the big music cues and emotional beats. Mm-hmm. You know, like I've seen it so many times. It's just like it was kind of just, you know, revisiting an old friend, you know, that I've seen so hmm. many times. And yeah. it didn't fall off or, you know, get better for me, really. It was just kind of 
this is like the movie I remember. I just have seen it's one of those ones I've seen so many times. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's well made. I mean, it's got. I mean, Tom Hanks is great in it, in particular. But then you yeah. know he's still got Paxton and Kevin Bacon, or great with them. You know, mm-hmm. Ed, uh, well, defining Ed Harris role for me as a kid. I think I've kind yeah. of like always liked him since I saw him in this probably first. Yeah, I think probably between this and uh, The Abyss would have been the things I knew him from the most. Yeah. Actually, you know, now that I think about it, yeah, The Abyss was like 90, so I would have been that. Yeah, 89 maybe even. Yeah, 89. So it's, it was probably three things. It's The Abyss, this, and like The Rock. <laughs> yeah. Lieutenant Dan, Gary Sinise. I know. It's just it, this one's stacked too. This cast is great. You know, actually, I really like, and I see. I always like kind of forget until I watch it. Is I really Clint like, Howard? Well, I mean, come on. There's no, <laughs> I can't say anything bad about Clint Howard. He's the man. He's great at this. Um, Marilyn Lovell, Kathleen Quinlan. Mm-hmm. I know her from two movies. Yep. This and the seminal Kurt Russell movie Breakdown. <laughs> I am a Breakdown fan. God, it's been a long time since I've As seen that one. That movie needs a Blu-ray so bad. Dude, Breakdown rocks. Those two movies are the only ones I know her from, and I like her in both. She's good in this. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if I could have told you that she was in Breakdown, because like I say, it's been a while since I've seen that one. But Yeah, well, I was just as I was looking, I was like, what else has she been in? Been in a bunch of stuff, but that's, these are only two I know her from. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's her in Breakdown. Awesome. It's just a shame that uh, if Kevin Bacon was going to be in a NASA movie, he couldn't have been right there alongside Fred Ward and uh, oh, the right stuff. Imagine, but... I know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one of the things that I have always thought was cool about this movie, and I did a little reading on it just to like, you know, figure out the exact details, is the way that they filmed the zero gravity in this film. Oh yeah, fascinating. So it really is. I was like been aware for a while, but yeah. Tell the people. Yeah, yeah, I I knew about this too. Like I remember, I feel like that was a thing that was talked about in the media when the movie first yeah. came out. Oh yeah, was how they did that stuff. So there's a plane called a KC-135 that NASA actually has, which can simulate zero gravity. They call it the vomit comet for this reason. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but allegedly, all three of the main stars—Tom Hanks, Kevin Bacon, and Bill Paxton—none of them actually vomited. But uh, many of the camera people apparently did Mm. when they were using it. So the only movie that's ever been allowed to use this thing for this purpose is Apollo 13. And it sounds like uh, Steven Spielberg was part of the reason that it happened. (laughs) Because who can say no to Senor Spielbergo? Right. He's got some pull. (laughs) Yeah. So the plane goes up to approximately 38,000 feet and then drops to and then drops 15,000 feet and this creates approximately 23 seconds of weightlessness in what they call a parabolic arc so it's basically like the plane is in free fall so inside the plane you you float and have no weight as it's counteracting gravity so a fair amount of this movie takes place in the capsule and is in like weightless space mm-hmm. in order to achieve the number of scenes they needed they did 612 of those drops over the course of 13 days. I mean, that is unreal. Yeah. It's just crazy that they couldn't film any weightless scene longer than like 20 something seconds. Yeah. And I see, I, at whatever point when I was getting ready to watch it, I went through the IMDb 
factoids and saw that. So I was like kind of mm-hmm. checking throughout the movie. I was like, they really do like the camera cuts like every 10, 15, whatever seconds. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, damn, like that's really how they had to do it. And like, just like the logistical nightmare that must've been and the cost. Yeah. And just like having to prepare for like you to regain your weight again at the mm-hmm. end of every shot and everything. Like it had to be like such a nightmare to film. And uh, over the course of those 612 drops, they accumulated approximately 54 minutes of footage. Oh, but goddamn, if it doesn't work in the movie, you know. It sure does. I mean, there's probably been plenty of movies that have, you know, tried to do the weightlessness. I mean, there are that, you know, you can't really tell. I'm trying to think anything in particular that. The one that I'm thinking of. Uh... Because it was such a like technical marvel is the movie Gravity with Sandra right. Bullock. And uh, I do, maybe this is just like my subconscious memory telling me this. Mm-hmm. But I remember watching that movie and knowing that like, oh, this was like, the whole thing about that film is like how technologically amazing it is and everything. And I do remember feeling that there were parts where she was like floating through like you know, small pathways in the ships or whatever mm-hmm. that I feel like you could tell that she was on wires. Mm, okay. Maybe, maybe I'm just making that up, but that's the recollection that I have. But, uh, you know, gun to my head, I wouldn't have been able to tell you before I heard like how they did that stuff in this yeah. movie. Oh yeah, either. totally. No, it's impressive. This is just an impressive movie all around, you know? Mm-hmm. One thing, you know, I always kind of remember is like, it's got early, CGI, mm-hmm. you know, there's like a pretty famous shot. It's like when the rocket's taking off and it's like above. So it's like a down shot of the rocket, like leaving the launch pad. Yep. I feel like that's like one of the more like popular, like kind of things you always see associated with this movie. Mm-hmm. And the movie like still like looks pretty good, but there's like one shot where it's from like ground level before the launch and everything, and it kind of just shows you the rocket in mm-hmm. totality, and it kind of like rises up to show you the rocket. And I was like, oh, here's some CGI. I was like, oh, okay, it looks a little rough. And it starts to like spin. The camera spins, and then you can like, if you look in the background of like whatever the grassy fields and the water are in the back, looks so bad <laughs> that I was like, oh, shit. I never like would have even noticed that when I was a kid or even like, Right, last times I watched it, but I was looking for it this time. Yeah, that shot in particular looked pretty rough. There's a couple shots, primarily of the exterior of the rocket, that look kind of rough mm-hmm. during different parts oh, of the definitely. movie. Yeah, they don't show a ton of the exterior, which well, I they think really is don't. Smart. Most of it is like claustrophobic shots inside with the astronauts. Yeah, you know, there's like an interesting dichotomy there that. As amazing as this movie surely looked at the time, and it still looks pretty damn good, all things considered, yeah, from 1995, sure. I think that the special effects and the right stuff just hold up better. Mm. And it still blows my mind because the right stuff was all like miniatures with wires and smoke machines, like we said. But I'll be goddamned if the numerous shots of the exterior of ships doing stuff in that movie didn't all look yeah. real to me. I mean, to- and those many shots... 
many shots of those of the right stuff where I was like, man, this, they keep showing the same <laughs> rocket shooting around like five, six, seven, eight times. So I was like, it looks good. I was like, I don't know mm-hmm. how they're doing this. Is this archival footage? Like I said that to myself many times. <laughs> yeah. And often it was, but uh, there was a lot of stuff no, that but they then, like, have to recreate. So. Stuff I checked afterwards at which was just like rockets on wires, mm-hmm. which I thought was archival stuff, wasn't. And I was like, oh, I'm pretty impressed actually. Yeah. But uh, so Ron Howard, when it came to this movie, he made the decision since they were going to have to do a bunch of CG anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wanted to do like 100 percent of it. He wanted to be like new footage. He didn't want to use any archival stuff at mm. all. OK. And so I believe there is no actual NASA footage in this movie unless huh. it's supposed to be like old broadcasts on TV. Or yeah, something. they got those. But so, I mean, that's kind of cool that they made that decision. Yeah. Sure. The thing is, like, I've always viewed, and there are some Ron Howard movies that I enjoy. Like, uh, I'm a fan of Ed TV. I'm, I feel like I'm one of the only, like, vocal fans of Solo, a Star Wars story, which I know is, like, half his movie, but whatever. I mean, I love that movie, too. I know you're a a bigger backdraft fan than me. Certainly. uh, Even, like, Cocoon, I enjoy. But um, I've always kind of viewed Ron Howard as a bit of a jobber. I was going to say, if I was, like, taking a quiz about you. And it was like, <laughs> fill in the blank, Millsy Plank is a jobber, I'd say Ron Howard. <laughs> Just, it feels like he gets a lot of these big projects, like the Da Vinci Code and stuff, and then, like, they end up being fine, and they make money because he, like, knows what he's doing, but he's, like, a guy that, when I think of auteur directors, like, he's mm-hmm. done stuff on the level of, like, a... Steven Spielberg, but I just generally don't feel like he really belongs in that camp. And I don't, I, I mean, he makes big movies and he, he can execute is probably his thing, but it's like, what decisions is he making that attributes yeah. to like these big looks? I mean, who knows? But the one, and, and again, like Ed TV is not like a gigantic blockbuster movie or anything. I just think it's like a fun, you know, comedy film. Mm hmm. But when it comes to stuff like Da Vinci Code and Backdraft, which I didn't even really love, and like The Grinch and stuff like that, uh, and there's some things like Cinderella Man I haven't seen, and I haven't seen A Beautiful Mind since the theater, which was forever ago now. I've but, never seen that. There's probably quite a bit of his movies I haven't seen. But I, the one movie where I really feel like he went above and beyond and like achieved something special was Apollo 13. Hmm. I mean, I'd say just from what we discussed, I'd say it's his best movie. Yeah, very possibly so. Can't it's like solo rocks, but it's like you don't know how much to give to him on that, so it almost doesn't even count. Yeah, yeah, for sure. He like I, I'm sure he wasn't like the sole creative vision on Apollo 13, but it feels like it was. Right. You know, he was in charge of that more than he would have been a Lucasfilm movie that he like came mm-hmm. in halfway through the right. production of. Right. Not to take anything away from Solo because I love that movie, but I mean, I I love Backdraft. I mean, I might even have a hard time deciding what I. I might actually like Backdraft the most, but really, regardless, I yeah, I'm a big fan of that movie. Well, I'm so. gonna have to gonna have to set us up with a Ron Howard uh, episode Backdraft oh. Apollo 13 rewatch and oh, some bullshit like Da Vinci Code just so I can force <laughs> you to buy, borrow, and burn. <laughs> see what happens. All right, <laughs> I'm gonna like make like special Ron Howard episode. <laughs> It'll be like some kind of milestone special. someday when we run out of movies to review and we have to go back right. to the well. When we hit some like whatever arbitrary milestone we've come up with, whatever that will add this one into the running, <laughs> like a kid. special Rod Howard episode can't be put into the running until X happens. 
Fair enough. I'm willing okay. to discuss it. Very good. <laughs> this movie was written by two gentlemen. William Broyles Jr., who's written stuff like Cast Away, Flags of Our Fathers. Uh, I think he wrote the Tim Burton Planet of the Apes. Jarhead. Kind of interesting. Oh, okay. More interesting to me is the other writer of the film, Al Reinert, who's written a few things. For the most part, I hadn't heard of any of them, except for Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within. Oh. <laughs> one of the writers of Apollo 13 <laughs> wrote Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within. Yeah, there's no one else on the planet talking about Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within right now besides us. <laughs> that is 100% true. <laughs> what a <sighs> man. So we got to get that gotta in the trio be, if we haven't sure. already. What am I doing? Yeah, final. <laughs> Write that down on your list. Oh, oh, I am. God knows what we'd pair it with, but yeah, no. That's a conversation for another see how time. That, let's see how that one aged. <laughs> Other So Clint, Clint Howard, as we mentioned, is in the movie. Uh, mm-hmm. I like him in the movie. I like him in general. Yeah, yeah. The goofy looking bastard, but... um. Uh, Ron Howard also put some other members of his family in this film, including uh, his father, Rance Howard, plays the Lovell family minister. Okay. His mother, Jean Spiegel Howard, plays Tom Hanks's character's mom. Oh, yeah. She's good. She's pretty fun. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah, couple of time. scenes that she has. And um, Ron Howard's wife, Cheryl, and his daughter, Bryce Dallas Howard, who was pretty young at the time, appear uncredited when the astronauts are waving goodbye to their families before the mission. Mm. Mm-hmm. Nice. Uh, this film was also nominated for several Academy Awards. Uh, it was nominated for but lost Best Supporting Actor for Ed Harris, Best Supporting Actress for Kathleen Quinlan, Best Art Direction, Best Original Dramatic Score, Best Picture, Best Visual Effects, and Best Screenplay based on material previously produced or published. Oof. Uh, it won Best Film Editing and Best Sound, which I think are both things that Right Stuff also won. Wow. What was Best Picture in 95? I think that might have been the year of Braveheart. Mm, I believe. Okay. One of the aforementioned final Lad Company movies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the script was written with Kevin Costner in mind to star. I don't know if he ever actually was approached or considered for the role, but... Uh, Brad Pitt was offered the role of Jim Lovell, but turned it down oh. to star in Seven. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine if Tom Hanks had been in Seven and Brad Pitt Shh. had been in this. <laughs> what's in the, I can't I can't do a Tom Hanks to say like what's in the fucking box, but yeah, I would like to see if, it now. If Woody from Toy Story was <laughs> in Seven, oh, that's good. That's good. Val Kilmer was offered the role of Jack Swigert, the character that Kevin Bacon plays, but he he turned it down to make The Ghost and the Darkness, which is a movie I haven't thought about in forever. Yeah, I just watched that for the first time recently. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Big killer lines. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I remember liking that movie a lot back when it came out, but I remember like nothing about it. (laughs) It's been a long time. All right, let me fix that. (laughs) And, um... Both Charlie Sheen and John Cusack turned down the role of Fred Hayes that eventually went to Bill Paxton. Huh. They're kicking themselves for that one. (laughs) Bill Paxton, he's one of those guys, I almost feel like he's kind of in that same camp that I was talking about with uh, Dennis Quaid. Like, I feel like he's more well-known than Dennis Quaid, 
But it feels like he always played second fiddle. Like he rarely was like the leading man. And if he was, mm-hmm. it was in smaller movies that no one ever saw. Or Twister. Twister would probably be the one. That's yeah. like his number one big role. Yeah, it's for sure. Be. No, I back you up on that statement. I think that's pretty accurate. But man, I just love seeing Bill Paxton and stuff. He's great. Yeah. He's great. He's a great actor. He's great in this. He's just got some interesting line deliveries that, like, I've watched Aliens so many times, and I'm mm-hmm. so familiar with, like, every line he says in that movie that there were one or two things that he said in this film where I was just like, God, that's that's just Hudson talking. Mm-hmm. I think the line about, like, I'm so hungry I could eat the ass out of a <laughs> dead <laughs> rhinoceros or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Like, just the way he said it, I was like, Hudson? <laughs> yeah. He's like, I just ate a big breakfast. Leave me alone. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and apparently that line was suggested by Gary Busey, who was visiting the set that day. Oh, nice. Because <laughs> I think he says it in another movie, Gary Busey. Oh, but, uh, I could dig it. Unlike the right stuff, this movie had a budget of $52 million and made $355.2 oh, in the box office. So. That's, that's big money even today. Yeah, performed quite well. Mm-hmm. Now, this was a huge movie, I mean. Mm-hmm, absolutely. This was like a massive film very... at the time culturally relevant and everything i mean hell just that line houston we have a problem i feel like will remain in the you know cultural zeitgeist for for the rest of time not because of the actual event but because of this movie yeah it's not even the actual line from the event yeah i think slightly different houston we've had a problem yeah past tense but but um ron howard specifically decided to make it we have because yeah, we've it had is. makes it sound like the problem's already solved it is better i mean it's a good choice see yeah. that's where the director comes in mills <laughs> there you go ron <laughs> howard finally stepped up to the big leagues <laughs> changing that line oh, changing it. cinema history i love it but uh no one's safe <laughs> Uh, with that, should we move on to our third and final film? Please, let's do it. All right, finally, from 2018, we have First Man. Mm-hmm. Neil, I need to talk to the boys. Can you hear me? I need you to talk to the boys. What are you doing? Stop. Going to work. Or just stop it. Just stop. Just stop. Hack it! What are the chances you're not coming back? Hmm? What are the chances this is the last time the boys are going to see you? I can't give you an exact number. I don't want a fucking number, Neil! It's not zero, is it? Is it? No. No, it's not. Pat doesn't have a husband. Those kids, they don't have a father anymore. Do you understand what that means? What are the chances that's going to be Ricky and Mark? And I, I can't tell them that their dad spent the last few minutes packing his briefcase. You're going to sit him down, both of them, and you're going to prepare them for the fact that you might not ever come home. You're doing that. You. Not me. I'm done. 
Better start thinking about what you're going to say. Uh, I did not see this in the theater, but I saw it on DVD after the fact. And First Man is one of those movies where, like, so it's directed by Damien Chazelle. And I liked, I loved Whiplash. Uh, yes. I think was, like, his first full-length movie. And then I was very excited for and a little disappointed by La La Land before this. Never, never saw that myself. Also loved Whiplash. Yeah. And so this movie came along and it's like, I like Ryan Gosling. I don't love him. Unlike you, I'm not like super duper interested in NASA stuff. Like it's it's interesting. And then I just remember the trailers looking like it didn't look like Apollo 13, basically, uh, which it's definitely not in practice as well. And so I didn't see it in the theater, and it was one of those movies I remember feeling like as it was getting towards the end of 2018, I am the kind of nerd who's like, well, I have to prepare for like year-end lists and make sure I didn't miss anything that was like worth my time. So mm-hmm. I think I rented this from the library and watched it more out of a sense of obligation than like I'm really looking forward to this, and... I think the combination of the kind of movie it is, which is more of like a thoughtful, quiet drama that happens to be about outer space travel and combined with the fact that I wasn't really in the mood to watch it as much as I just wanted to be able to say I'd watched it, which Mm -hmm. will probably sound weird to any normal person out there in the world. Except me. I, I remember really just not like, I didn't think the movie was bad, but I, I went back and I looked at my review and my main takeaway was this movie isn't going to stick with me. Hmm. And um, similar to the right stuff, I will say that I think going into it with like lowered expectations this time around, I enjoyed it a lot more than I did the first time. Oh, interesting. How about yourself? Well, as aforementioned NASA fan, I was like excited for this just because it was more, NASA action. I mean, I like Ryan Gosling. He's been in a bunch of stuff I like, and he's got, he's like a particular kind of style to him in general, I think, that I kind of like. I watched this second. I watched Right Stuff, First Man, then Apollo 13. I put on First Man, and I was like, I think I've seen this. And I was like, I'm pretty sure I dragged you to see this with me in the theater, <laughs> which I did. Um, so, yeah, saw this in the theater. Pretty excited. I honestly think my mind space at the time was like, it's been so long since Apollo 13. Like, I'm ready for more of that in the modern era. (laughs) And this Uh movie is not that. Right. And I think I kind of just had the same feeling. Like, it's good, but it just, like, wasn't what I wanted at the time. And I kind of just, like, filed it away. I was like, I saw it. And I was like, you know, I don't own it or anything. I was just like, you know. It was just like it was there. It was good, but I didn't. There's one scene in particular that sticks with me, but um, for the most part, didn't remember it. So coming down to watch this, I was like, I watched it second. I was like, I want to watch the right stuff because I haven't seen it. Um, so I want to dig right in. I was like, I know I'm still best chance possible. I'm still going to like Apollo 13. So I want to <laughs> end on that. And I was like, yeah, I was like, I don't, you know, I was pretty kind of ho-hum about first man. So I'm going to, you know. Do that one second. Kind of the same. I was just lowered expectations or what, but it's like my view of First Man changed wholeheartedly this time mm-hmm. around. Yeah. The scene I remember is basically the opening, which I'll say now, like easily for me, is like the best like translation of what it must have been for 
early astronauts to like basically be strapped to a rocket and sent <laughs> into the sky. What do you mean basically? That's a hundred percent what it was. <laughs> like because again, like you watch and process one of these movies and it's just like, yeah, you're watching it happen, you're following the story, whatever you move mm-hmm. on with your life. But watching like, you know, eight hours almost of mm-hmm. this stuff, this subject matter. By the time I got to this one, I was just thinking to myself, like, I understand the concept that these guys are quote unquote test pilots and right. somebody has to test these things. But like every and this movie is just all about like every time he leaves the house, is he going to come back again? But right. man, just that feeling of impending doom every time. Like yeah. they're about to do like one of the craziest and most amazing things in history. Like we're going to walk on the mm-hmm. fucking moon. But first you have to survive like eight days without blowing up. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, the one, the way the the ship that he is piloting, I think his and this one's like the X one or the X fifteen, like one of the like mock jets. Like the way it opens, because they don't show you like the outside of the plane. It's just from him in this like completely dark cockpit with like a joystick or like a handle and like maybe like a row of like. Not even buttons. They're just like toggle switches and the thing's <laughs> rattling. You, it's not that there's much to see if you're just shooting out into the sky in front of you, but it's like, you, like there's not, you know, you can barely see out of the thing. It's all just like so loud and rattling. I was like, dude, this is bonkers to think <laughs> like of all these kind of movies I've seen. But the, like that stuck with me when I saw it in the theater. And then again, this time it's just like, how perfect I think it was for them to use the movie like that to show from mm-hmm. that angle, like from that point of view. Yeah. Just like, dude, these guys are maniacs. <laughs> and just makes you think of like, especially I got this from the right stuff as well. And this one, it's just being like, these are like some of the smartest minds on the planet at the time, but they have no idea how to run a space program. They're figuring it out as they go. Yeah. When uh, when Neil Armstrong's wife, played by Clara Foy, at the end of the movie comes when they turn off that, like, box so that she can't potentially hear her husband dying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and she's, like, she's yelling at them. She's like, you're not scientists. Your boy's playing with fucking balsa wood or whatever. Right, she said. yeah. Building models out of balsa wood. I mean, yeah. it is just crazy to think nowadays the amount of technology that we have. Mm-hmm. And then... You know, I think they say when uh, when Ryan Gosling as Neil Armstrong is like visiting the White House and there's like a senator or something who is like, you know, why are we putting all this money into going into space when we could be putting it elsewhere? And uh, Ryan Gosling is talking about how, um, you know, we we only flew for the first time like 60 years ago or whatever. And like, look how far we've come just to now think how many years back, like it's now 60 years back that this stuff happened. Mm-hmm. That they were able to do the shit that they did with even, the technology they had at the time. It doesn't even make sense. Is fucking mind blowing. And it's like within, I think, like back to the right stuff. I think Chuck Yeager's stuff is in like the late 40s up and then it carries up until like through the 60s. Like 20 years of like just going from like flying crazy ass planes to actually going to space and then to the moon is beyond. And it's all just like math. Yeah. And it's just wild that, like, you know, because of the space race and, uh, you know, trying to beat the Russians, like, that's the only reason we were able to pull it out and get there, like, as soon as we did. Oh, yeah. Just because they had that. It wasn't, like, a desire to, you know, 
explore explore the unknown or something no. it was we have to do this before these other guys so yeah. we're just gonna fucking to hunker down and make it happen right and i mean you know people talk about like the space program today and you know mm-hmm. there's still the same kind of arguments against it oh, like totally. that money can be used elsewhere but then there's just as many people who are like well once upon a time we used to go and fucking do shit and we don't anymore why well right. who are we competing with right now right not to say that we're like better than anybody, but there's like there's no competition, be it unhealthy or healthy or right. Or does there need to be? Yeah, there's no cold to, war on right to now. do these things. You know, <laughs> uh, obviously there does because that's how it got done. Well, and then as yeah. soon as there was no space race like anymore, people got bored of the shit and the funding went away. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's the worst part. It's because like the the decision makers who don't have the passion are the ones that sign the checks. You know, it's like yeah. with this so many people still like all we want to do is go to space, but it's not mm-hmm. like sexy enough, or there's yeah. no one to beat at doing it. Like, that's <laughs> that's just disheartening. But yeah, so like the right stuff, it has a lot of these elements, but it's still just like we're just barely sending guys out into space, and they're gonna hover around the Earth and come back, which is still mm-hmm. an amazing accomplishment. But and they die. Then, someone dies every two weeks or so. Exactly. Yeah. And then this movie. I, I don't know. I think it just made me think about the kinds of things we're talking about even more because it is like they had to figure out a way to because at that point still it wasn't a space shuttle. It wasn't right. a shuttle riding a rocket. It was a pod mm-hmm. on the tip of a rocket. <laughs> right. Like just a giant yeah. missile firing us into space and detaching. Right. And then they had to turn the thing around in zero G connect to the lunar lander and then fly that shit out like eight days through space to the moon, mm-hmm. detach, get it down with limited fuel. Like that part where they're doing the interview before the flight and the person's like, Oh, well, uh, uh if you had like a special place in your suit, what would you want to take along? And then Neil Armstrong's response is, well, if I had it my way, we'd take more fuel. <laughs> yes. <laughs> hits home when you're watching all this shit happen and they almost run out of fuel landing on the moon which actually did happen yeah because where they were planning to land there were a bunch of boulders so they overshot the boulders and then right on the other side of that was a giant fucking crater that they had to avoid so they like almost didn't make it which is fucking crazy to think about like these are things i didn't know like and i'd even watched this movie before but i think i just glossed over it like i was kind of over the movie by the ending but this time i was like really keyed into it so yeah, then they have to land the thing, then they have to get it back into space, and they have to reconnect it, and then they have to bring it all home, and it's just insane it's that this shit happened in, like, was it you 69? Have to accom- you have to accomplish all that, and then hope you don't burn up on re-entry. Yeah. It's like, that's bonkers. It's like, yeah. the science, like, like, that excites me to know when it's like that level of science, you know, which is missing in today, but, mm-hmm. you know. To watch it in this movie, especially like the experience I had like the first time. Again, yeah. not that I hated it. It just wasn't what I was expecting. Mm-hmm. And kind of walked away from it. And then like, I think it was just the right time for me now, to be honest. Yeah. Well, I think this is like the experience that both you and I had this time around. It's like, it gave me all of these feelings beyond just like, this is a good movie. Like it made me mm-hmm. think about all these things about the actual time period and what was accomplished. And Oh, yeah. It had a much bigger impact on me this time because, again, the first time around, I felt like I was watching the movie out of obligation, which maybe sounds bad. And I 
you know, I probably do that every year when I'm trying to catch up with things, but it, it's oh, yeah. usually like I've seen the stuff I really want to see. And, you know, I've said it before, I've seen the best. Now I'm watching the rest. <laughs> right. You know, having this opportunity to rewatch the movie, which, you know what, if it wasn't for this podcast, I probably never would have rewatched First Man I mean, because of that first experience I had. Yeah, could say that about so many things. I mean, even like the right stuff, I would have been like, I really need to sit down and watch that. And like, damn, it's three and a half hours long. It's like, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Same with this. Like, am I going to watch that again? Like, I remember, like, the opening and being like, that's, like, the coolest thing to me. But do I really need to watch it again? And, like, I really feel like I was at the very right time for this. Mm-hmm. I agree. It has, um, so we've covered, like, the NASA stuff and the, you know, all the science. But then even, like, the, there's a lot of emotion in First Man. Like, his, like Neil Armstrong, like, lost one of his children to mm-hmm. cancer. And, like, he's dealing very with, like, young. the very young you know he's and that's part of like they think he has issues as a pilot because he's dealing with that and they show like his notebook where he's got like he's got like an engineering notebook for flying and then he's got a whole another little notebook of all just like treatments and he's trying to like deduce things about the cancer it's just Mm -hmm. like heartbreaking and he like lives with that like guilt and they i love like some of this movie it's like feels like an indie in in ways where oh yeah Big time because it's like they don't like over explain anything, and like you just there's certain scenes where it shows him like when he's like confronted with his emotions, he just like he leaves, you know, like a couple like he leaves his house. Remember that one? He like has that crash and he comes home and his wife's asking him about it, and he just like turns around, and is like, Oh, I left something at the office, and he just leaves. Yeah, or when they're at that funeral and he's like, hey, yeah. can we leave? And she's like, Oh, I want to help stay and help out, and yeah. then he just like goes and gets in the just car bounces. and drives away. Yeah. And it's like, you, you like, do you correlate that with like, he has to go to a space because he's like fleeing away from his feelings? Like, maybe, maybe not. And then he's just like, he's at the, you know, he's at the crater and he leaves the, the daughter's, her bracelet. It's just like, oh, that movie, that, that like killed me this time around. Yeah. Again, something that I think I just wasn't even like in the right emotional space yeah. to appreciate the first time I watched it. But, um, I mean, for, you know, not to get like, too heavy about it now but like at the time like this came out in 2018 and like you know my mom had passed from cancer in 2017 so it's like those are like feelings that change over the course of time and i can as i was rewatching, i kind of had forgot but i think at the time like i wasn't really good at like processing this when i saw it the first time when it comes to that mm-hmm. but i was like much it was a much different experience for me this time around so i think that just added to my overall enjoyment too. Yeah. It was just, you know, it kind of like covered all the bases. There is a part of me that wishes the movie was a little less terse because there are a lot of just like quiet moments where people just kind of look at each other for a long time oh, yeah. and then the scene ends. Mm-hmm. That like adds to like the indie feel of it. For exactly. Me for sure. Yeah. That, that's immediately what I thought of when you said the word indie before. Cause there's other things like that opening sequence that you described and how it like kind of puts you probably as close as a movie could put you to the position of somebody in one of those test rockets or whatever. And even the moon landing stuff at the end, which, you know, people view as like being a very alternative way of showing it with like the sound cutting out and everything. But I think that that's a cool way to show it. Mm-hmm. And it's like cinematically interesting. But like throughout the movie, I feel like the one time that like at, towards the end, Claire Foy as his wife. You know, when she has that argument with him about, like, you're going to sit down and say goodbye to your kids. And then 
the part where she actually goes to NASA and yells at them about like playing with balsa wood or whatever. Those are like the only two scenes where she, uh, most of the time with her, it's just looks. It's just like them glancing at each other. And I wish there was a little more of that, like get to know her a little better. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just, that's just kind of the style of the movie is uh, show, not tell, Mm -hmm. I guess. Oh, for sure. Oh, without a doubt. Cause even like his, like he's got a lot of blank expression too. Yeah. No, yeah, for sure he does. And I get the impression that, um, you know, there's probably a lot more information about Neil Armstrong out there than his wife at the time. Mm -hmm. And I imagine that they were trying to show, like, you know, everybody thinks of, oh, Neil Armstrong, first guy on the moon, and you have these preconceived notions of him. But I imagine that Damien Chazelle and company were trying to show, like, a realistic look of what the guy was like, considering that, like, I never knew until this movie that he had a daughter that died that young, and that was something that he carried with him. But Totally. Then his wife, like, I don't know, maybe they portrayed her accurately in the movie as well, but it feels like she was just kind of a mimic of his personality to a degree. But I guess we should say, so Ryan Gosling, again, plays Neil Armstrong, Claire Foy's his wife. Jason Clark uh, is an actor who I feel like I like. He's in like a lot of stuff is like, yeah, just generic white dude these days. Mm -hmm. He was in, he was the main character in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes and. He was unfortunately John Connor in Terminator yeah. Genesis. <laughs> it's a smaller role for him, but he's one of the brothers in Lawless, mm, which yeah. I really like. Mm-hmm. And he's yep. like pretty good. Yeah, he's in a ton of things. He was in that horrible Winchester horror movie a couple years ago. Oh, yeah, I didn't see that. But he's he's one of these guys that's just everywhere, but I'm never like disappointed to see yeah. him. This I mean, his cast is pretty stacked, too, for sure. Mm-hmm. Kyle Chandler is in the movie, and he actually plays one of the Mercury 7 astronauts, doesn't mm-hmm. he? Deke. Deke Slayton. Yeah, one of the ones that in The Right Stuff was not played by like a name actor we all know, but he was one of the mm-hmm. characters in that. Uh, Corey Stoll as Buzz Aldrin. I forgot yeah. he was in this. Yeah, which was like, not that you would kind of expect to think anything like, oh, I know the personality of Buzz Aldrin, but he's a distinct personality in this movie. Yeah, not again. Like you think of like, oh, Buzz Aldrin. He's like, his name is Buzz. You don't expect him to be. Right. This kind of like, you know, basically how he is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like kind of grumpy, kind of grumpy, gruff, <laughs> kind of gruff with people. Yeah, yeah, brutally honest. Mm-hmm. Shay Wiggum, another one of those, just kind of like he's in every goddamn movie these mm-hmm. days. Uh, actors, he was in Kong Skull Island. He was in Joker. He's in like every goddamn thing. Mm-hmm. He plays Gus Grissom, right? Uh, Lucas Lucas Haas, Haas from Inception mm-hmm. is in there. Ethan Embry. Mm-hmm. Uh, who am I thinking of? It's a uh, dude from The Wire. Um, Pablo uh, Shriver. Schreiber. He was... Uh, he plays Tom Hanks' character from Apollo 13, Jim Lovell. Oh, is that who he's playing? Yeah, he was Nick Sabatka in uh, The Wire. Oh, I didn't even catch him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Huh. I, I didn't catch it. That was Jim Lovell. I forgot all about that. That's funny. Yeah. So, yeah, there's definitely some carryover in these movies, for sure, character-wise. Uh, so, this was also based on a book, uh, First Man, The Life of Neil A. Armstrong by James R. Hansen. Mm-hmm. The option for the film was originally purchased, uh, it was like a co-production between Clint Eastwood and Warner Brothers, and Clint Eastwood was planning on directing the movie for a long time. Mm. This was like early 2000s, like this movie sat around for mm-hmm. a long time. Uh, and then at some point, like around 2014, I think Damien Chazelle came on and then like kind of crafted the movie more to his style interesting thing about this one we were talking about how in apollo 13 
Ron Howard made the decision to not use any stock footage and do everything in like CG. Mm-hmm. In this movie, Damien Chazelle made the choice not to use any green screen. Oh, no shit. So anytime people are like looking out of a porthole at something or there's like a, you know, just some kind of visual that would normally be green screen, they used 32 foot long LED monitors. Oh, that's cool. Specifically to give the actors like something to actually look at yeah. instead of just yeah. a green screen. Kind of along the lines of what they're doing these days with stuff like uh, The Mandalorian. Mandalorian. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought this was kind of cool. The stuff on the moon's surface had a very interesting look to it. Yes. It was filmed in a in a set that they built in a quarry, and they filmed it all at night. And to give that feeling of, like, the sun, like, that one bright source of light coming from a single direction... Mm-hmm. All of the moon scenes were lit using a single custom 200,000 watt light bulb <laughs> to duplicate awesome. the sun I mean, hitting the surface. This movie magic shit, Millsy, <laughs> will just fuel me, fuel me through all my days. Like, just to hear that. Like, like they could have potentially achieved that a billion different ways, but I mean, it is yeah. a unique look, that yeah, oh, sequence. Totally. And it just, just to even know, like, it felt different. Mm-hmm. And just to know it wasn't even green screen. I think they shot parts of it as well. Like there's a lot of first person point of view from Neil Armstrong during that sequence. And mm-hmm. I think that they shot it on a different like size of film or something as well. That's awesome. But, yeah. A lot of cool stuff went into that sequence. I thought Yeah, that I just completely overlooked the first time I saw it like an asshole. <laughs> yeah. To- I mean, totally. And so this movie also was nominated for some things. It lost out on uh, best production design, best sound editing, and best sound mixing, but did win for visual effects. Nice. You know, something we don't talk about enough, Brian, on this show was the music, because the score in this movie is awesome. Yeah, this is one of those movies where, since it is so kind of like sparse through long Mm -hmm. sequences on dialogue and stuff like we've talked about that the music kind of carries a heavier load. Obviously something in Apollo 13, you have like the big booming orchestral stuff and like triumphant music, but this, you know, the music carries a lot of the mood because as we were saying, they do a lot of like show don't tell. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, it's it's, again, adds to the indie vibe, but. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. I would say, check it out. Like I was listening to it on Spotify myself. Oh, nice. It's, again, another thing that just went over my head completely the first time I saw it. Mm-hmm. It didn't even register. And the movie cost $59 million and made one hundred five point seven in the box office. So not like a mind-blowing return on investment, but I'm yeah. sure they weren't disappointed. Which it's like only in Hollywood where it's like something can give you back double your money and it's it's like people still kind of shun it, you know? But Yeah. Yeah, definitely uh, enjoyed it. Yeah. Much more this time, and yeah. even more so than enjoyed it. I feel like I got more out of it this time. Really? Yes. I mean, I'm with you 100%, and I was not expecting it at all. Yeah. I was just, I was sure I was like, the 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 experience I was going to get from this movie, I would not have expected to be as vastly different as it was the first time. <laughs> yeah. So to go along with what I teased at the very beginning about like my opinions changing on some things, Mm-hmm. This one and the right stuff, I enjoyed both of them more to some degree than I did the first time. And I didn't like Apollo 13 less than ever before, but I think I was like building up that one. Kind of like you said, you wanted to watch 
like uh, Apollo 13 last because it was like the sure thing or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like the one you already knew you really liked or whatever. I kind of had the same vibe going in. And I think like I built it up in my head too much. And then after enjoying or along with enjoying the other ones more, it just didn't like blow me away as much this time. Mm. Still a great movie, but yeah, it was just like my expectations for where I was going to be at this time were like yeah. all over the place. Just funny. I don't know if it's just because of this grouping of these movies, but this just feels like a just a different experience for us on the show mm-hmm. than we've had either in a while or a period. But yeah, along with gigantic runtime. <laughs> yes, <laughs> can't deny that. How about we move on and talk about a couple of posters? Oh, please. Uh, so the right stuff is pretty plain. It is. Uh, I don't dislike it, but. I mean, it's obviously a stylistic choice. It's not like the most incredible thing I've ever seen, but I think it's fine for what it is. It feels like an 80s poster. Yeah. Not in a bad way, but... I mean, it feels kind of... You know, we talked about how the movie itself is just like, here's the facts. Mm -hmm. And this feels like the same thing. Like, here's the guys in the movie standing in a row. You know, it's like it highlights the men, not the... The machines, which I like. I mean, I like it. It's very stark. It just it feels like an ad from the eighties for sure. How the future began feels like it feels like a early nineties VHS box. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. I like it. Okay. Yeah, it works. It works. Um, Apollo thirteen. I don't feel like is an incredible poster. It's definitely burned into my yeah. mind's eye. It's very like particular in that. It's like we make sure we show Tom Hanks because he is just like a number one top dog like right now, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't know it, it's it's funny because definitely got that like grainy '90s sense to it too that everything felt like it had, mm-hmm. which the movie doesn't, but the poster does. Yeah, it's like again, it's another one. It works again. It's just it's so familiar to me, like it's so mm-hmm. ingrained in my mind that. I feel like I want to give it a pass just because it's so iconic. But so iconic. That's more so because of the movie itself, not because like this is an incredible poster or right, something. Right, right. Yeah. You know, the poster does not live up to the movie, but it is iconic. Yeah. So, I don't know. Not not a, not a whole lot to say about that one. No, not really not. And then, I mean, you get to First Man and it's, I mean, it's a, just a big close-up of the actor's face. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's called The First Man. It's about Neil Armstrong. You're looking at the guy who plays him in the movie. Yeah. But similar to the Apollo 13 one, I just feel like there's got to be something more interesting you could have done than just a close-up profile view of the guy's face with a couple of light streaks. Yeah. I it's Color-wise, it's, like, very pleasing to me. I mean, I really do like it. I like this as a poster. Everything you said is also accurate. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, this this feels kind of in the same sense of, like, marketing movies in the 90s is when they really started get you know doing stuff show those actors it's a this is just the no. you know the continuation of that in the modern era just looks better this just feels a little too much like they gave a ton of images to some guy in the office and then mm-hmm. he just like picked this one and just went to town with like photoshop shit yeah. all over it oh yeah a couple lens flares yeah the actual specific colors and flares and like swirls and things don't speak of anything specific to the movie no. to me. No. If he didn't have a helmet and it was just his head, it could be anything. You wouldn't there's nothing yeah. particularly space if without the space helmet. 
So all told, I would say this is a pretty middle-of-the-road lineup. And nothing, like, offensively bad. But Yeah. I think, uh, I think I'm going to give all three of these three dimes that Gus Grissom brought back from his uh, space mission. Space dimes? <laughs> oh, my man, Millsy. Just, uh, none of them is like particularly better than the others. You don't fail to disappoint, friend. I try. It's one of those things, like, sometimes when we're doing the posters and I just, like, am thinking in my head, like, if I had a movie room, like, what would I hang up, if anything? Like, if I had to pick one of these, I don't know. That's a tough call. I would I would do First Man, just because, I mean, now after liking the movie so much more and just, I still find that to be, like, the most pleasing of these posters, if it's not the, you know, strongest idea yeah. over, you know, overall for, for a poster. I think I'd go write stuff just because it's the kitschiest and the one you'd least expect <laughs> to see in somebody's movie room. Yeah, I mean, I think Apollo 13 would be last for me. Yeah. I would probably just go, I think I'd go first man, write stuff, Apollo 13. And Apollo 13 is so iconic, but just it's not that great. Agreed. Yeah, I dig it. Space, space dimes. By Borrow Burn? By Borrow Burn. All right. You want to go first? Sure. Go for it. All right. Um, nothing is getting tossed in the sun this episode for me, which is funny when you think about they're all space movies. <laughs> Got to boot something to the moon. Yeah, toss it to the moon. It's probably not a surprise, but I think my burn is the right stuff. I enjoyed it. It's subject matter that like means a lot to me and I find extremely interesting. It's probably the one movie I could think of in general that I would say like this should be taught in history class, like <laughs> just put this movie on for however long it takes for people. Everyone should watch it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But just as like the movie experience was so odd to me. I mean, again, we kind of, I got, well, maybe me even more like goes off on movie run times and, you know, more and more, I feel like 90 minutes or 95 minutes is the best, you know, the perfect run time. And, <laughs> but yeah. not to shit. I, I, I love and enjoy plenty of long ass movies. But again, that's usually the movies where I don't feel like I could, I would cut things out, which were this one I certainly could. So it does affect my overall feeling of it. But I still liked it. But something's got to go. Uh, so at least, you know, a long time classic, Paul 13. And then something like First Man, which I was ho-hum on and did enjoy more this time around. And I'd say, like, for me, it definitely feels like my younger self like that that movie from my younger self is Apollo 13 and First Man is the one for me as an adult. Mm-hmm. So I'm borrowing Apollo 13 buying First Man. Wow. I felt I had such an experience with First Man this time around. Again, we we covered it. Just <laughs> I had over expectations when I saw it originally and under expectations this time around and it was a transformative experience for me, for sure. Like it got me it got plenty of NASA stuff. I feel like just didn't even didn't register at the time because it was so emotional and such like an indie feel that I wasn't expecting the first time around. And then was just exactly what I wanted this time. Nice. So easy buy. Cool. Cool. Uh, I'll give you my borrow first. Oh, I like this. And uh, I'm going to borrow me a little Apollo 13 just because I mean, it is just like kind of a seminal classic at this point. 
Mm-hmm. Watching it in close proximity to the other two, though, it's like it feels like. I mean, like I said before, it's like the blockbuster movie. It feels it, it is it is so what it is. It wears like the kind of movie that's yeah. on its sleeve, where the other two are a little more obtuse. Mm-hmm. And like you can't take any anything away from it. It's great, but uh, I didn't touch on Apollo thirteen too much as my borrow, but basically all those same reasons. Yeah, but there is a movie that I had a uh, a stronger attachment to this time around and that movie was the right stuff (laughs) which is gonna be my buy just because i don't know i I, there's something to the fact that i think you don't hear as much about these guys as you do about the apollo missions oh and it's just it's awesome to see the apollo stuff and especially in first man where they you really feel the era and the time period more than you even do in Apollo 13, where it feels like a polished nineties thing. Mm -hmm. But first man, they really like achieve that feeling of the era, but then the right stuff, just if, if Apollo, if the Apollo missions were like, you know, this brave new world, the Gemini stuff with the Mercury astronauts was like the wild fucking West. And I love the feeling that it has of just like, you know, they are just attempting the things that will later on get them to where they're going. Mm-hmm. And the cast is just amazing. And um, you get to spend so much time in that world. And like I said, I could easily cut 45 minutes from the movie uh, with no problem. But this time around, like I said, I just did not mind just like sitting there. And if this was a TV miniseries, I could have watched like a couple more episodes of it. I was just like, into the era and the characters and everything. Mm-hmm. I kind of wish at this point that they showed those other missions that they just yeah. kind of brushed it Actually, it, it, for me, it would feel more, it would make more sense for me for that As to be a like a show, a miniseries, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. And then First Man, I mean, it may be a little surprising that it's my burn after all the praise we just heaped on it. At the end of the day, the reason that I think it appealed to me the least out of the three if, when I, you know, I'm forced to rank them is that indie vibe that we keep mentioning. Mm-hmm. Like, it just has this, I don't know, it's it's not, it's not like the least accessible movie to me. It feels like there's a little more work to get into it. And I feel it like is, I, yeah. I put in the work, and I got there this time. But, like, it, it definitely feels like the least rewatchable to me because of, mm. like, the emotional depth of it and the kind of quiet, nature and hey i just get more thrills out of like the sense of wonder and uh discovery and everything and the right stuff i think yeah i can't knock it i mean so. i thought as we we're well as we we're going i was like i think milsey's gonna pick the right stuff after you talked about it but, wasn't <laughs> but then i thought you were actually gonna burn apollo 13 for a stretch there and i was like okay i was like mm-hmm. Mills is really into First Man too, but I was a lot closer to burning Apollo thirteen than I ever thought I'd be yeah. going into this. I don't knock it. I mean, we're completely opposites on our, you know, birds and our buys, but I don't knock it, Millsy, because <laughs> I think just this experience of this episode was great all around. Different vibes, and it's like you know, what worked for me didn't work for you, and vice versa. Yeah, but we still I mean, it, all, it all worked. It's just yeah, it all works. But just like what what like really speaks to you, yeah, or speaks to me, you know. But it all worked, so I can't you know can't knock that man. So there it is, man. Space, <laughs> one small NASA. step. 
Oh man. Uh, well, let's get to that uh, get to that random number generator and find out what we're watching next. Yes, let's. How many episodes we got there? Sweet meals. As of right now, we have two hundred and thirty-seven potential uh, themes. Two, three, mm-hmm. here we go. Oh, Millsy. Yes. Low numbers. What do we got? What do we got? Nine. Nine. Wow. What do we got? <clears throat> oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Mills. Mills, how excited are you I'm right so, now? I'm so ready for this. Millsy. I've been thinking to myself just recently, man, I'm Millsy. really in the mood to rewatch some of these. Holy so this shit. is fucking. I feel like we talked timing. about some. We did talk about some of this recently. Yes, I had pitched you an idea. Oh my that, god! Uh, how oh. how excited are you? So excited! Right now? Oh, man, next episode, uh, Triple Threat Theater episode forty six. We're going to be discussing the theme, the real JC. What a time to be alive! <laughs> I'm so ready, heart, mind, <laughs> and soul for this. Oh God! <sighs> oh. I mean, I love this thing of ours. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, until next time when we find out who the real JC is, uh, my name is Ryan Miller. And I'm Joe Daxberger. Thanks for watching. That was one of the finest movies I've ever seen. They ought to make them all like that. None of this nonsense about social matters. People don't go to the movies to see how miserable the world is. They go there to eat popcorn and be happy. Be happy, happy, happy.